Well, would you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis as we're journeying in throughout the book of Genesis. We're coming to the 20th chapter of the book of Genesis. We're going to talk about one of the great men of God, a man by the name of Abraham. When you think of Abraham, you think of uh, a number of things. You think about a man that is known as the father of our faith. You think about a man that is a friend of God. You think about a man that uh, who the Lord used in a mighty, mighty way. But then on the other hand, when you begin to look at a man by like Abraham, the Bible is so clear that it not only talks about the good of the person, but sometimes it talks about the bad. That's why I'm so grateful for the Word of God. It doesn't uh, shadow or it doesn't wash over any particular thing that we might would do in, as a human being. But oh, how the Word of God begins to display the good and the bad. And so we're going to look at a, a story today by, about Abraham. And it almost will remind you of what took place in Genesis chapter 12. And when we read this story in just a few moments, you're going to say, I think I've heard that story before. Because it's almost identical, even though it's with another uh, pagan king. Oswald Chambers said this that I thought was interesting. He says, Abraham is never presented as a saint or a type of sanctification. Phases of his life may be used to present these, but Abraham himself is a type of the life of faith in its failures and its successes. And then John Phillips, a great Bible writer, he said this, Truly, the Holy Spirit does not gloss over the sins and the shortcomings of even the greatest saints. And we find that here in the life of Abraham. I titled my message, Same Song, Second Stanza. <laughs> and yet still off key, because he, you, you're going to find that it seems like Abraham has not learned his lesson. So, with your Bibles open, let's look at this very interesting story, Genesis chapter 20, and we're going to read all 18 verses of Scripture. So, would you stand with me as we read in reverence of God's holy word? And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech 
in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she, even she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart. For I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. Now, notice that. Uh, It's interesting that God had to tell this pagan king that Abraham was a prophet. You would have thought that by his own character and testimony, that would have been very evident. But it says, now therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all of yours. And so Amalek rose early in the morning, called all of his servants, and told all these things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? Have I offended you? That you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She's the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And it came to pass when God calls me to wander from my father's house that said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me? In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and he restored Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all you, all who are with you, and before everybody, thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, his female servants, 
Then they bore children. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. My, 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 what an interesting story. Oh, the tangled web that we weave sometimes when we first deceive. Father, in Jesus' name, as we look at this story here today, Lord, it reminds us so many times of even in our own lives that we find ourselves repeating sins. And we have to come before your presence and ask for your forgiveness and your cleansing. Lord, we pray that today, that if there's sin in someone's life that, that, that finds being repeated, Lord, that today that you would convict and you would cleanse. Fill us with your spirit, anoint us with your power. And I pray, dear Lord, that today would be a day that would honor you through the preaching of your word. May Christ be glorified in what is said here today. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When you read the story, it sounds so familiar. We remember when we went back to Genesis chapter 12 that the Bible talked about that of how Abraham went down into the south, into Egypt. And there, as he was fearing for his life, that he told that pagan king that Sarah was his sister and not his wife. Now, do you realize... The, the, the terrible, terrible thing that Abraham was doing. He was not only just lying, but he was almost placing her in a place of where she was going to be contaminated by a pagan king. Once again, here again, we find this happening in Genesis chapter 20. And you know what? It, it speaks to my heart because so many times in my life I have had to come before the Lord and say, Lord, it's me again. And it seems like that I have committed a sin over and over and over again and that I had not learned my lesson. And so what I want to talk about today of how we allow sometimes sin to be repeated in our life. Even though we began to realize the seriousness of it and we confess it and we ask God's forgiveness and then the next thing you know, we go back and we do the same thing all over again. There are several instances throughout the Bible that reminds me of repeated sins. I think of Moses. Moses, of course, you remember that day that when he saw that Egyptian uh, was beating one of his Hebrew brothers. He became angry, the Bible says. And he 
killed that Egyptian. Buried him in sand. Well, what a terrible sin. And yet, 40 years later, we find that Abraham, I mean, that Moses still had the problem of anger. Where he struck the rock out of anger, the Bible says. And it cost him. It kept him from going into the promised land. Oh, I'm reminded of not only Moses, but I think about the children of Israel. Good gracious. Seemed like they were constantly repeating their sins. They had just crossed over on the other side of the Red Sea. And the Bible says they began to murmur against God, that they were thirsty. And God gave them drink. And one, but just a couple weeks later, they're murmuring again. And God gave them manna out of heaven. Their sin was the sin of murmuring. Murmuring and complaining. You ever find yourself in that situation that, that, that you're, you're, you're murmuring or you're complaining about something? God convicts you, you confess it, and then the next thing you know, in a week or two later, you're doing the same thing again. I'm reminded of also, of not only the children of Israel, but I think about Samson. Samson who Lust lured him into the arms of a Philistine woman. Twenty years later, we find him still having the problem of lust. And that that sin of lust cost him. And it seems like there's an over-occurring problem with mankind today. Just because you're a believer, my friend, I want you to understand, that does not necessarily mean that you're above sin and that you've conquered all sin. That we struggle. And if we're not careful, we struggle with the same old sin. What we're going to do today, we're going to look in Abraham's life And look at this particular situation. Three things I want to share with you today. First of all, I want you to notice the saint that committed this sin. Oh, Abraham. Abraham's sin was that he was a repeated liar. He lies and he lied and he lied. I don't think there's probably anything could be any worse or any more damaging to a Christian than lying. I would tell my children when they were growing up, I can just put up with just about anything but lying. When they lied to me, the punishment was severe. And when I talk to someone, I, I, I want them to tell me the truth. And so Abraham had the problem of the sin of lying. And now, let's go back and look at Abraham's life. First of all, Abraham, let's go back and see the early days 
of his life. Genesis chapter 12. Let's go back and be uh, become more familiar of that particular story. Genesis chapter 12, verses 11 and 13 says, And it came to pass that when he was close to entering into Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen. When the Egyptians see you, that they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me. But they will let you live. <laughs> Please, say you are my sister. That is, that it may be well with me for your sake that I might live because of you. Now, we have learned today in the Scriptures that that was a half-truth. She was his sister, his half-sister. She was... His sister, but she was also his wife. And so he was looking out for old number one. He was looking out for himself. He realized that the Egyptians were looked upon beautiful women, and if they had husbands, that was no problem. They would just kill the husband and take their wives. And so Abraham said, hey, listen, Sarah, let's just tell everybody that you're my sister. And so you began to notice there in this passage of Scripture of Abraham's early days of his life, of his Christian life. Now, I can kind of understand with Abraham for a little bit. I mean, uh, he's a young believer. A young believer is going to make mistakes. A young believer is a babe in Christ. And that a babe is going to act like a baby sometimes. And so therefore, I can almost understand to a point of Abraham at this particular time, he's a babe. And sort of remind me of a story about this particular guy one time. This guy uh, uh, was known to be a very wicked guy, a very foul-mouthed individual. And uh, he got saved, radically saved. And it wasn't long after he got saved, God called him to preach. And it wasn't long after that that he became a pastor of a small church. Now, mind you, he was still a novice and he was still a babe in Christ. And he got up one day, got to preaching. And as he got to preaching, he was preaching on Calvary and he was talking about what the devil had done to the Lord, that the devil had, had beaten him, had the devil had, had uh, slashed him with the whip, The devil had done all these things and he got so up into the emotions of preaching that he began to talk to the devil and the next thing you know, he started cursing. He said, that devil, that blankety blank, 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 
not blankety-blank-blank. Blank. And then all of a sudden he realized the terrible mistake he made there in the pulpit, cursing. He hung his head in shame. He walked out the door, and he resigned the church. Well, everybody stood back startled. They could not believe what they had just got through hearing. Chairman Deacon stands up and he says, Well, everybody's heard it. I can't uh, sugarcoat it. He said, But I tell you what, he said, I've never heard the devil get a cussing like he did today. And he said, you know what? He said, our pastor's young and uh, a little immature. He said, I, I say that we bring him back and give him a raise. <laughs> As a young Christian, sometimes we make some foolish mistakes. And that's kind of normal. And I, I can kind of understand to a certain degree. But then I go and I not only recognize Abraham in the early days of his Christian life, but Abraham in the effective days of his Christian life. You go to Genesis chapter 20, verse 2, And you began to notice it says, And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister, once again saying the same thing. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Abraham repeating the same sin. Abraham's not a novice now. He's been a Christian for 25 years. He should have known better. He is a, supposed to have been a mature Christian. And yet, I mean, you think about Abraham. My goodness, in Genesis chapter 18, God himself came and visited Abraham. God came to a point where Abraham could even touch God and spoke to him in a personal way. He's a mature guy. And yet, he's acting just like he did 25 years earlier. You know what that tells me? (laughs) That tells me that it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It doesn't tell me, it it tells me also, doesn't tell me, it tells me that It doesn't matter how much a mature Christian you are. In some of your weakest moments, you'll find yourself acting just like a baby Christian sometimes. Doing foolish things. Saying foolish things. That's why I think 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 is so important for us to be reminded. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, even years of living for God does not lessen the power of sin. And friend, it doesn't lessen the power of the potential of sin. 
So as a believer, as I grow in the Lord, I need to put up boundaries even more to keep from doing foolish things. It's amazing to me. I've I've even heard pastors and preachers who have been preaching the gospel for years and yet fall into immorality. Why? You would have thought by their maturity, they would have never allowed themselves to be placed in that type of position and to find themselves possibly repeating a sin. But let's go a step further. Not only the saint that committed this sin, but also the situation that compelled the sin. It's interesting, each time that Abraham committed the sin, it was due to a situation that he put himself in. Do you hear what I'm saying? That we sometimes put ourselves in situations, and in those situations we find ourselves asking to allow sin to take over and control of our life. Very important that we watch where we're at and what we're doing and what we're saying. You go back to Genesis chapter 12 verse 10 and you'll notice the regression of the saint. Listen to what he says in Genesis chapter 12 verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt. And I, I constantly remind you that every time it speaks of Egypt, which it speaks of the world, Egypt is a typology of the world. It always speaks of going down. Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there for the famine was severe in the land. Abraham, a young believer. And the Bible says a famine comes. And instead of sitting there and waiting on God to deliver him out of that famine, what does he do? He goes down into Egypt and he's trying to help God out. He placed himself in a position where he should have never been in the first place. That's why every one of us have got to put up boundaries in our life. Never put yourself in a position that you know that sin could possibly overtake you. Here he is. He put himself in a situation. That's why it's so important that a believer is to be separated from the world. That's why the Bible talks about that we are in the world, but not of the world. Because I want you to know the world will pull you down. So you see the regression of that saint, but also the repeating of that sin. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1, And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Jur. Notice carefully, Abraham heads once again to the south. Once again, he heads toward 
the Egyptian borders. Why does he go back? No one knows. He ought to have known how dangerous it was to go back to the south. He goes back to the south and once again he finds himself in the same identical situation. A man that struggles with pornography. He confesses it to the Lord. And he asks God to forgive him and to cleanse him. And then the next thing you know, what does he do? He goes back. A woman, a man, that has a problem with lust... Possibly been involved in an affair, whether it was an emotional or physical affair. And they become overly convicted by that sin. And they come before God and ask God to forgive them and to cleanse them. And then the next thing you know, they go back into the premises of that particular person or place and they find themselves repeating the sin over again. Oh. That's why I believe James talks about and gives us such a vivid picture of how the world operates. James chapter 1 verse 14 He says, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. When he is pulled away. When he goes to the south. When he walks out into the world. By his own desires. And enticed. The word desire and enticed is like a, like a picture that James pitch, uh, paints is like a, a fisherman baiting a fish. The fish is over here under the log in the water, safe, secure, happy. And then all of a sudden the fisherman drops that bait in front of him. And the next thing you know, by the desires of that fish and by the enticement of that bait, he comes out from the premises of that place of security and he sees that bait and he lunges and next thing you know, he's caught. He's hooked. And by being hooked, he is snagged and taken captive. How many times does that happen to believers today? 
I heard an interesting story of how many, many years ago that uh, Eskimos, when they would try to kill wolves, that uh, what they would do, they would take a knife and they would put fresh blood on the end of that knife and then they would take the handle and put it in the snow or hide it in the ice. And as the wolf would come by, he would smell that blood and it would entice him to go over there and lick that knife blade. And every time he would lick it, he was cutting his own tongue. And more blood until the next thing you know that that wolf goes into a frenzy that finally he loses so much blood that he dies. Did you know that's exactly what Satan does? That's exactly the way the world entices us. It looks good. One little lick won't hurt. One little look won't hurt. That enticement and next thing you know, you are finding yourself where you cannot even control your own emotions. And you find yourself completely being destroyed. It's amazing. Heard about uh, a young priest went for his first day uh, for confession and he was listening to all these confessions. And the older priest came to him later on that day and he said, uh, son, you've done a good job. He says, but uh, I just want to remind you something that every time somebody would say something to you that it was rather surprising, you got to quit saying, Wow. nothing is beyond the reach of mankind today nothing when it comes to sin then that's why 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 is so clear and so perfect in our Standard today where it says, flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, which those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Two things. Run from your lust. Pursue righteousness, love, Peace, faith, which brings about a pure heart. But thirdly, not only do we recognize the saint that committed the sin and the situation that compelled the sin, but the shame that compounded the sin. 
The lie that Abraham told was not only a repeated sin, but it was compounded by the shame that was brought on to this believer. It was a personal defilement of his sin. Genesis chapter 20, verse 13. Look at that. It says, And it came to pass that when God calls me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me in every place, wherever we go. Say of me, He is my brother. This was not a one-time or a two-time thing. My friend, it seems like everywhere Abraham was going, he was telling everybody she was his sister. The sin constantly resurfaces. And he suffers the consequences. You know what happened? That sin never really got out of his heart. He may have confessed it, but he never really repented from it. That's what happens a lot of times. People will come to an altar and they feel guilty or are convicted of their sin and they'll confess it, but they won't repent. They won't turn away from it. And that sin is harboring in their heart. It defiles you. That's why it's so important to come to understand that when you come to the cross of Calvary, not only at salvation, but in your sanctification experience as you grow in the Lord, that you take that sin and nail it to the cross. And ask God not only to forgive you, but that He would take that sin away from you. Because that sin is defiling. And that sin will reoccur if you do not deal with it. The sin of gossip. It's a something, it's an overcurring thing. Some people just cannot get over it. They constantly sin of gossiping. They'll get convicted, they'll confess it, and then the next thing you know, they're gossiping again. A sin of reoccurrence. Because it's defiled the heart. It's defiled the body. But not only did it defile this man by the name of Abraham personally, but this was a public disgrace. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 20, Verse 2 and following. Listen to this. See, the defilement was serious, no question. But public disgrace became even more serious. It says, now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Jorah, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man because of a woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her. 
And he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die. And you and all of you who are yours. Abimelech had taken Sarah and into his Harlem. God came to him in a dream and revealed to him of the sin that Abraham had committed. But once again, Here is a pagan king rebuking a Christian. A pagan king was about to receive turmoil in his life because of the sin of a Christian, a believer. My friend, I want you to understand the name Christian, Christ-like, is a name that is to be worn with great, great humility, but also with great respect. When I carry the name of Christ, my friend, and when I sin before this world, I want you to understand, it blemishes the name of Christ. It blemishes the reputation of the church. It blemishes your life and your family. To be rebuked by the world is pretty bad. I've known Christians today that won't pay their bills. And pagan believe, uh, unbelievers will come and have to really rebuke them for not paying their bills. What a shame. What a disgrace. Here. Genesis chapter 20, verse 17 said, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children. Two things happen in this verse. One, God blesses Abimelech, and he makes things right. Secondly, we see Abraham getting right. As far as I can tell, Abraham never had this problem again. As far as I can tell from this point on, Abraham never did what he did at this particular time. God got a hold of Abraham. 
I believe God took him to the woodshed. I think he said, son, this is enough. This lying business has got to stop. Tells me, God's merciful, he's graceful, but oh, my friend, I want you to understand, he is a just God, and he will put up with just so much. Just so much. Oh, I'm grateful for his grace that he will forgive me and will give me opportunity to come back and ask for forgiveness over and over again. But I think God says, there come a time, enough is enough. You need to quit asking forgiveness and start repenting and turn away from this sin. And go the way you should go. Our life is our testimony. And our testimony is valuable. I used to tell my boys when they were growing up, as I would take them off to school, and I think I've told you this before, but I used to go and I would tell them, when they get out of of the car, they get ready to go. Okay, guys, remember two things. Remember who you are, and remember whose you are. I believe that's what God tells us today. Remember who you are, and remember whose you are. Because your actions will also will depict upon my life and my character. I wonder if I'm talking to someone here today. You're wrestling with a sin. And this sin it seems like an overcurring sin. You know it's wrong. You've confessed it. Maybe a hundred times. But you keep going back to it. You keep going back. You keep going back. Well, my friend, what you need to do is nail that sin to the cross. Not just confess it, but ask God to take that sin away from you. Take that desire away from you. Take that desire and give you a pure desire that your life would be holy and that your testimony will be pure. Someone invites you to do that today. Just a few moments. We're going to pray and we're going to sing and I'm going to invite you to come to an altar. And there at the altar, I want you to notice this, this cross. And in your heart, nail that sin to the cross. Lord Jesus, I don't know whether to, when I look at Abraham, to think that here is a man that, like passions as we are, 
or a man that seemed like he just couldn't learn his lesson. Father, I pray that today that we'll get serious with sin and we deal with it accordingly. Not just confess it, but to repent. Turn away, release it, and ask you to take those desires and those temptations away from us that we might live pure. Lord, the greatest way, of course, if someone who's never been saved is coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and asking Him to forgive them and to cleanse them and to be born into the family of God. The greatest way to overcome and conquer sin is to become a new believer if there would never been one. And so, Lord, there may be someone here today that needs to do that very thing. So, Lord, we just pray for Thy will to be done in the Spirit of God at this particular moment. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Would you stand? Of course, the invitation is always open for someone who feels that to be led by the Lord to unite with our church. We welcome you to come, whether by letter, by statement, by baptism. But oh, listen to me, believers. Listen to me. Don't ever think that you're above from sinning. Don't ever think that you're above from that enticement because that's when Satan will going to throw you a curve before you realize it. So today, why not come? Why not come? As we sing.